what we've got here, Romans uh, chapters 13 and 14. And just to continue what I've been saying uh, all the way through on, uh, uh, about Romans, that in chapters 1 to 8 you've got this classic exposition of the Gospel, where Paul has a standing in the dock right before God in judgment right now, being quite rightly condemned in one sense for our sin, with our sin as it were in the, in the witness box witnessing against us. And yet, because we are in Christ, we are declared right. Not only sort of let off by a, a kind of a kindly, sympathetic judge, but we are declared right. We are justified by faith. And this is the wonder of God's grace, that those who are in Christ, by baptism into him, by life in him, in the spirit of chapter 8, that really we are counted as if we are Jesus. And therefore... We therefore really will live forever, <coughs> live forever in God's kingdom in the future, and yet right now we are declared right before him. And then in chapters 9 to 11 you've got the sort of parade example of all this in Israel. And Israel are held up as, as our encouragement, as our example, because they were sinners and were not particularly spiritual, and yet were counted as right by God's grace. And because of that, you then come to chapter 12, verse 1, on the, uh, the, the sort of third and final part of the letter. I beseech you, therefore on the basis of all these things that he's been saying earlier in the letter all the theory if you like I therefore ask you to live an appropriate life the doctrine that he's gone through of the, the basic elements of the gospel in chapters 1 to 8 issue in the way of life that he's talking about from chapter 12 onwards and so as we read all these sort of practical exhortations here, all these are a practical outflowing of what he has been saying earlier. For example, here in chapter 13, verse 11, it's high time for us to awake out of sleep. And that phrase is only used in, in Romans of the resurrection of the Lord. Uh, chapter 4, 24 and 25, 6, 4, 9, chapter 7, verse 4, chapter 8, verses 11 and 34, chapter 10, verse 9. All the way through he's been saying that Jesus rose from the dead, we are identified with him by baptism into his death, and we therefore will also rise from the dead with him. And so he says, the bottom line of that in practice is that it is high time for us to awake out of sleep in practice. Don't be apathetic, don't be lazy, uh, and don't be sort of switched off in your life before God. The whole sphere of our life should be in Christ, because if this is all true, and we are really counted as if we are him, and that really we stand in the dock before God's judgment, counted as it were right and perfect before him, therefore you cannot be passive, you can't just shrug and say, yeah, okay, fine, well isn't that cool, we got um, my eternal destiny sorted out, but let me just get on and live my life today. Just living basically like everybody else does. That cannot be the case. We are therefore to awake uh, out of our sleep, and he says in verse 12, chapter 13 here, to put on the armour of light. Now, that's the same word, armour, that he's used in chapter 6, verse 13, where at baptism, he says, we yield our members as instruments, or armour, of righteousness. Now, you can't be on two sides in this, in this conflict, which is what it is. 
And so if that is what happened in prospectum, in, in the whole idea of baptism, then we are in practice to do something about that, to put on this armour and to fight the, uh, the, the fight. And he talks about walking the way of life, uh, verse 13, just as chapter 6, verse 4, we are to, uh, at baptism, walking afterwards in newness of, of life. Now, just a couple of uh, other connections which are maybe not quite so, uh, not quite so apparent maybe. Uh, chapter 14, verse 1, we should receive the weak. But in chapter 4, verse 19, he says that Abraham was not weak in faith. And yet here he says, receive the weak. In verse 5 of chapter 14 here, he says, let yourselves be fully persuaded. But Abraham, in chapter 4, verse 21, was fully persuaded. Here in chapter 14, verse 23, he who doubts is damned if he eats. But it's the same word in chapter 4, verse 20, Abraham did not stagger, or he did not doubt. It's the same word. And he is set up to be our example. So, putting those uh, connections together, from here in chapter 14, verses 1, 5, and 23, each of those is referring back to Abraham's example that he's talked about in chapter 4, and yet he seems to be implying that there will be some in the ecclesia who will not have that level of faith that Abraham had. In other words, there is not a, a kind of a standard which you've got to reach in terms of your, your faith and, and, and commitment, and if you don't reach that, then you're out and you're no good and you're not like Abraham. He's saying that exactly because we stood there in the dark as sinners and yet are counted righteous, this huge righteousness is imputed to us. We therefore should be extremely gracious to others. And if we have faith in the same things that Abraham had faith in, the basic promises of, of salvation in God's kingdom and salvation in Jesus, the great son of Abraham, then we have simply got to accept that there will be others who are still on the journey. D don't forget that Abraham was fully persuaded, in chapter 4 verse 21, um, as if there was a certain process going on there. And here in verse 5 of chapter 14, we are to be fully persuaded in our own minds, as if there is a, a journey there, that there's a process. And the fact that we may have got a bit further down the road than others have, maybe because, let's face it, we simply matured spiritually quicker than they did, or maybe we've been on the process, doing the journey longer than they have. The measure and the mark of spiritual maturity, I think, is our attitude to the weak, is our attitude to those who are still, as it were, developing and on the journey. And that, I think, is the, 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 the parade example of the maturity of the Lord Jesus, that while we were yet sinners, and that whilst he was in a situation where Peter denied him, Judas betrayed him, the rest of the disciples were nowhere to be seen, he died for us. The total loneliness of the Lord Jesus at the end is, I think, very touching. And yet he did that for us. We who were absolutely without strength, 
in due time Christ died for the ungodly and that's that's us and so this should be I, I think the uh, the great example to us and unfortunately as we have studied the scriptures and, and developed spiritually uh, in terms of shall I say academic understanding it's very easy to then be, become sort of impatient and intolerant of others who simply don't get it or have not yet got it let's put it that way people who haven't studied the Bible maybe as much as we have or who have not been exposed maybe to the good teaching that, that we have been but as soon as we start considering ourselves better than them we have missed the whole point of the gospel now here in chapter 14 he, he says verse 13 let us not judge one another anymore anymore there is uh, is picking up I think chapter 6 verse 6 that because we're in Christ henceforth anymore we should not serve sin and so then if we have been declared right by God, by his grace, when we stood there as sinners and he counted us as righteous because we are in Christ and not only sort of let us off and let us sort of into the kingdom uh, by the skin of our teeth but he has gone further than that, he has actually justified us, he has declared us as right and therefore he says we should therefore not judge one another how can you, who had such a, an absolutely amazing grace experience as you stood before God in the dock with your sins witnessing against you, uh, as he makes the point in the earlier chapters of Romans, uh, and then you are declared right and you walk out of the courtroom sort of into the judge's arms and into the arms of your advocate, your legal defense, who is the Lord Jesus, uh, it's just marveling wow at this grace how can you then go out and judge another person for their sin see another person standing there in front of you uh, as it were with you as, as the judge and you say right you were guilty of sin uh, therefore you're out when you yourself have been condemned as a serious sinner it is so inappropriate that we should judge in, in the sense of condemning. Now that is not to say that we cannot tell right from wrong. I think our whole personal experience of this great grace leads you to judge right and right from wrong, just to see black from white, and not just mix everything up in an endless uh, sort of gray scale all the time. But what becomes crucial is that we do not condemn others and I want to uh, just put a bit more emphasis on that if we have a bit more uh, a look in a bit more detail there uh, of Paul's teaching about standing and falling uh, going on there in, in, in chapter 14 um, they, they had a problem there in, in Rome of, uh, some of them were Jews, some of them were Gentiles some of them were rich, some of them were poor there was a huge mixture and there was therefore inevitably a lot of sort of judging of each other and he says verse 10 that we should not set at naught nor judge our brother and why should we not? because we shall all stand or we shall all be stood before the judgment seat of Christ for it is written and then he quotes here from Isaiah as I live says the Lord every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God so then each one of us shall give account of himself shall log us himself to God there is going to come a day when you and I stand before the final judgment 
And we will give account. We will give that logos of ourselves to God. The innermost thoughts, the, the, the innermost bottom line of who we really were, we ourselves will confess to him. And going back to that, uh, that passage that he's quoting there from Isaiah 45, verse 23, that is also quoted in Philippians 2, 10 and 11 about the Lord Jesus uh, and because of his sufferings therefore he was highly exalted so that every knee should bow to him and every tongue should confess to God because of his death uh, and, and his resurrection so then the essence of judgment how we will experience it as it were before the judgment seat of Christ the essence of that is going on right now whenever we as it were come before the crucified son of God and that is why there is such a connection between the breaking of bread and the, and the judgment uh, and coming before uh, the cross and knowing ourselves now as we will in that day you see what I'm saying that that passage in Isaiah 45 about every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that that is quoted in Philippians 2 about people's reaction to, to the crucifixion and here it is quoted about the last day that the feelings we will have at the last day and just going back there to Isaiah 45 uh, if you read on in verse 24 and I'm reading from the RV then shall one say only in the Lord have I righteousness and strength sorry that, that's the AV in the RV only in the Lord shall one say unto me have I righteousness and strength that makes it uh, even more personal that we will then realize that the basis of our salvation is because we are in Christ and righteousness has been imputed unto us that as we bow before him then that we will be as it were physically uh, on the ground before him that we will be set at naught in front of him because no flesh can glory in his presence and then we, we find ourselves saved and what is our response? only in the Lord shall one say unto me have I righteousness and strength that we will realize in that day that we have been saved by his righteousness now again in Isaiah 45 he says surely shall one say in the Lord, in the Lord that is Jesus of our righteousness and strength and all that are incensed against him this is the, the rejected shall be ashamed in the Lord shall all the seed of Israel be justified and shall glory now no flesh can glory but we can glory in the Lord so in the same way as we've not only just been sort of let off our sin but we have been counted as righteous counted as if we are the Lord Jesus right now so it will be in that day of final judgment that we will be justified we will be counted as righteous counted as if we are Jesus and we will actually believe that and feel that to the point of glorying and rejoicing in the wonder of it all so then we will 
literally bow. Every knee shall bow at that day, and every tongue shall confess our sin. So then each one of us will give account, will give a logos of himself to, to God. Now that has some pretty big implications. Because in verse 10 he says, we shall all stand before the judgment seat of God. Now I don't think it means just we shall put in an appearance. I think he's being careful in his use of the, the metaphor of standing and falling. He says we shall stand or we shall be stood because it's written that every knee shall bow. So we shall bow physically. Uh, that seems to me the only thing one could do at the day of judgment is to fall down physically in our still mortal state, uh, to just fall down physically in front of Jesus. But we shall be stood up. And there is uh, a reference there in in Psalm 1 to the the unrighteous will not be stood up in the day of judgment. Um, and Jesus himself talks about this about uh, again it depends how you read the Greek um, when he says pray that you should be accounted worthy to escape all these things and to be stood before the Son of Man and you have it all physically sort of played out in parable by, by Daniel when he has that experience which is a bit like death and resurrection and the angel comes and there he is just face down in the dirt as if he's dead and he just can't really get up and he can't really talk and the angel lifts him up and says fear not a man greatly beloved it's, it's all okay and lifts him up onto his feet and gives him the strength to speak now that lifting up the angel standing him up I think that that is looking forward to what ultimately is going to happen before the final judgment seat of the Lord, of us being stood up when we have thrown ourselves down and we are at, at nothing or at naught, uh, the AV says here in, in verse 10, and then being stood up. Now, bearing in mind this language of falling down and being stood up, when he says in verse 10, we shall all be stood before the judgment seat of God, it seems to me then that he's saying, look, we're all going to be saved. And Paul is rather like that, that he, he seems to assume that his readership, who are believers, will be saved. I mean, the whole way he, he talks about we who are alive and remain in First Thessalonians 4, he seems to assume that all those he talks about will be ultimately saved and will forever be with the Lord, as he says. And really, seeing that we cannot condemn our brethren, that I suppose is how it must be. That we, we have to assume that each other will be in God's kingdom. And so he, he says, because of that, he, he continues the idea by saying in verse 13, Let us not therefore judge one another any more, but judge this instead, that no one put a stumbling block in his brother's way, or an occasion of falling. It's as if he's saying, well, yes, okay, so some will not stand in the last day. Unfortunately, some will stay down there and will not be stood up. But make sure that it's not you that put that, as he puts it, that occasion of falling 
in your brother's way. Now this is getting quite scary because it implies that we as mere people that we can actually act in such a way as to make a brother or sister stumble to the point that in the last day they will stay down and they will not be lifted up. Now I suppose it must be like that or else otherwise kind of human sin and behavior would not have any consequence and sin is exactly sin because of the consequence to others that it, that it carries with it. The whole idea of offending others would, would have no kind of teeth to it if God sort of just sort of swept in and, and stopped us from being able to offend each other. We can offend. That's what he says here. Be very careful that you do not put a stumbling block in your brother's way so that those who, who, who cannot rise up who stay down are not in that position because of you but some sadly will have been caused by others to come to that situation and it's a very sober warning and it, it seems to, to be what he's saying here by a, a sort of uh, a, a huge paradox that it is by condemning others by judging others in the sense of condemning them that we can actually do that by setting them at nothing by judging your brother in the sense of condemning him uh, as he's talking about in verse 10 that by doing that you can actually kick a man down to the point that he will not even rise at the day of judgment you see if you disfellowship people if you tell somebody you are not good enough for the Lord's table I condemn you you will not be in the kingdom you are not a Christian you are not a true believer if you set someone at nothing if you destroy their self-worth this is what you can do to a person you can destroy a person to such a point that they will not rise again and you might say well I, I don't do things like that well I can tell you I think I have done things like that in my more extreme past and I believe that sadly most of us have been involved with that sort of behavior because the whole idea of kicking people out of fellowship telling them you're not good enough to come here and break bread and upholding those policies and it's no good saying oh well it wasn't my policy it was someone else who made it and well yeah we all sort of went along with it yeah that that is what I'm talking about you know you come out with all the sort of Nelson Mandela and Desmond Tutu kind of stuff but if you uh, do not uh, do anything about injustice and abuse of others then you are on the side of the abuser that passivity in, in that sense is not possible in, in these kind of cases so then just taking this uh, figure of or maybe it's literal uh, maybe it's not so much metaphor um, it may be that it may have a dead literal element uh, in it um, of uh, standing and falling just taking it uh, again a little bit further it's clearly in Paul's mind here very much he's talking in, in verse 6 verses well 5 and 6 about uh, some people keeping the Sabbath some people keeping the Jewish feasts some people fussy about what they eat some people not and he, he really urges us not to judge each other you see verse 4 who are you that judges the servant of another to his own lord he stands or falls his lord his master will decide whether 
he is to stand at the last day or to be stood at the last day or to fall, to stay down. Yes, he shall be made to stand. Or that the AV, he shall be held up. For God is able to make him stand. Now, that really does seem to fit in with what we've been saying about this standing and falling. That we, I think, are to assume that our brethren will be made to stand. He shall be made to stand. He shall be held up, for God is able to make him stand. So, do not judge your brother, because God is going to make him stand up. And as I say, in the, in the context of what we've been uh, studying here in verses 10 and 11, uh, etc., and the idea of stumbling blocks, etc., in verse uh, 13, it would seem that to stand or to be stood up refers to the angel or maybe God or Jesus, maybe personally or through the mechanism of, of angels, standing us up as we throw ourselves face down on the dirt as Daniel did, uh, in his symbolic death and resurrection uh, and we confess every tongue shall confess and every knee shall bow to him and going on there in Isaiah 45 we shall be declared right we shall glory in the fact that we have been justified and shall shake our heads and say in the Lord alone do I have righteousness and, and strength thank you Lord and He's saying here in, uh, in verse 4 that we are to assume that our brother will be made to stand. And specifically, the brother who we want to judge. The brother who we are tempted to judge over matters of conscience, matters of interpretation. Now, stuff like keeping the Sabbath and the food laws and that, it's very easy to say, oh no, you're wrong or you must do this, or you, know, you must not do that. Uh, and yet, what he's saying is, look, once you start bringing eternal consequence into this, and saying, if you have that view, you are out uh, of God's eternity, well, look, God is going to make him stand. And you better start worrying, verse uh, 13, uh, not about judging other people, but being careful that you don't put a stumbling block into another person's path, so that they stumble over it and stay down at the Day of Judgment. Now, if we are to live as men and women who believe that we are saved by grace, that we are right now saved by grace, uh, that we are already standing before the Judgment Seat, and uh, the future Day of Judgment to come, of which we've been reading here, uh, the outcome of that at this moment at this moment in our lives should be assured we therefore must assume that all our brethren likewise will be made to stand will be there now that's an easy thing to say but if you really believe that you will catch yourself whenever you find yourself thinking he or she is just not a Christian just doesn't get it uh, is really just not sincere. Is a sheep in the uh, sorry, a wolf in the flock. A wolf amongst the sheep is not not genuine, uh, etc. You will just not be able to say things like that. Um, you just won't, because you realise that 
You, by grace, have been made to stand at this moment. And what can you do but assume that all your brethren also will be finally, ultimately made to stand? Because if you assume anything else, you are assuming that you have the power to condemn them. And you don't. And therefore, we can sort of breathe a sigh of relief, I think, that we are not moral policemen. That, that we're not, uh, you know, the, the policemen of, of the body of Christ. That it is not our duty to go round judging and condemning others. We are to assume that our brethren will all be in the kingdom. And if you assume that, well, what do you want to do but fellowship with them? Because if we're going to be together eternally, we make the answer now as to whether we you know, are, are really living that kingdom life now. It's just not feasible to say to somebody well yeah sure we're going to live together forever in the kingdom but not now John you know not now mate you, you're not going to have uh, you're not going to sit at the same table of the Lord as me that if we want to be there we must act in a way that shows that we believe that our brother or sister even if they may misunderstand something about the Sabbath or whatever uh, will be made to stand and you only get the motivation to do this if you perceive your own sinfulness and you perceive the wonder of the fact that you stand in the dock and yet, despite all your own sin witnessing against you and the fact, as Paul demonstrates at the beginning of this letter we are all serious sinners you know, he talks about lesbianism and every form of human perversion, sexual perversion, every kind of perversion there in the first couple of chapters of Romans. And he basically turns around and points a finger at every one of us and says, and don't you think, well, I'm a sinner, but I don't do that. You do, in essence. And you are seriously in trouble uh, unless you are in, in another uh, sphere of relation with God and it's by grace that we are in Christ that we stand accepted before the final judgment of God and because of that we dare not judge our brother and really if we just can, can get this into our heads you'll be able to live with far greater peace far greater peace knowing that we really are counted right and that therefore we are going to count our brother or assume that our brother is also counted right by God's grace.